This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. As many of you know, I'm sure that I work in uh, outdoor clothing. Um, I frequently am spending time talking to people about what they're going to be wearing outside, what they're going to be wearing skiing, what they're going to be wearing on the hill, uh, in the mall, um, what they're going to be wearing uh, uh, going to scout camp or going to Southeast Asia or wherever. Um, I'm always talking about coats, about Gore-Tex, about Tressatex, about Isodry, about Hydrodry, about Aquafoil, and about a host of other things. Uh, um, I don't want to say I'm an expert on, on outdoor wear, but uh, I do know an awful lot. Um, an awful lot of ways in which to cover yourself whenever you're outside. Um, it's one of my... Uh, uh, Pet, not I shouldn't say pet peeves, but you know when I'm seeing people walking around and you're they're, you know and you're going like, what are you wearing that on a day like this for? This is Northern Ireland, you know. Uh, so uh, I'm somewhat of an expert on on that type of thing to a degree. Um, tonight I want to talk about only the right cover will do, which is absolutely nothing to do with my area of expertise. Uh, it's absolutely nothing to do with what we put on this. Um, I want to look at this in a slightly more spiritual sense, and and as you would imagine. Um, It's more appropriate to think of things, although they have sometimes a physical connotation and a physical reality to it, there's always a spiritual element that we always must bear in mind. Um, And tonight, while I will mention and talk about things like salvation and redemption, um, those really aren't the the main thrust of what I want to speak about. the main idea is that you know, God is a good God and he's a compassionate God. And it's one thing we miss sometimes whenever we're reading the Bible. It's God has got no desire to see you fail. He has absolutely no desire to see you ashamed. He doesn't want to shame anyone. Over and over and over in scripture, those people who come to him who have a humble and contrite spirit, who are coming to him in their point of need, frequently he, he covers them. He protects them. He shelters them from the shame that, and stigma that is associated with whatever situation they face. And I want us to come to, again, to that point where we just appreciate that. I'll confess it's something I, you know, but I don't often think about, about the situation that God goes to great lengths to prevent people who are humble and contrite from being ashamed. There's a lot of people out there who've got many reasons to be ashamed, many reasons. And I'm sure some of us have reasons from our past, things that we have experienced, things that we have gone through that we'd be embarrassed and ashamed to even mention and talk about. And we're thankful that it's under the blood and it's forgiven and it's, we're, you know, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's just absolutely wonderful to know that we have a God who's not going to hang that over our heads. He's not going to dangle that over our heads. He's not going to threaten to reveal all, come out and say one day to the congregation, thus saith the Lord, did you know? God's not like that. The enemy will tell you that God's like that. The enemy will give you countless reasons to shut up and sit in the back and not say a word. 
He'll give you countless reasons not to enter into praise and worship, not to enter into church life, not to enter into relationship with people because you've got a secret you don't want to reveal. And I'm not talking tonight about secret sins and things like that there, but things from our past. There's things that we just don't want people to know. I have certainly done things that I'm not proud of and things that I would be ashamed if they were really revealed. But I am so thankful that God has wiped the slate clean. He has cast them into the sea of his forgetfulness. And I don't have to worry about God saying, dropping that into someone's heart. By the way, did you know? Because those things that I have repented of and God has forgiven me of, it's been wiped clean. God doesn't want to embarrass you and ashamed you. He doesn't want you to be ashamed in front of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. He doesn't want you to be ashamed in front of the, congr- the world out there. The scriptures over and over and over again talk about trusting in God and not being ashamed. And that's the type of God we serve. He's a wonderful God. He's absolutely wonderful. He's not like us. Starting off with that in mind, I want to look at the book of Ruth. And it's a very well-known passage, a very well-known book. That, and I'm not really going to be preaching on the, the whole book of Ruth. I'm just going to start off with, a, with an idea here, with a thought, something to, to get us on our path. The book of Ruth, it's a big, moving, significant story. As I said, we all know the, the, the idea of salvation and redemption and the kinsman redeemer, which is all over the story. And I want us to have a look again a wee bit at this story. And Naomi and her two sons and her husband, they're in the midst of a famine that is um, striking the land of Israel. And it's a severe famine, so severe that here to, they're a good Jewish family, a good Israeli family is thinking, let's go to Moab. Let's go to our a country that was our enemy not too long ago and will continue to be a pain in our side. So it must be quite bad if they're willing to go to that. And they sell what they have and, or else they lose it because of the famine. We just don't know. They, but they leave and they go off to Moab. Now, these are genuine people. These are people with lives, people with relationships, people with hopes, with dreams, with plans for the future. You know, we brush past that and we say, oh, yes, then they go set off. And next thing you know, the husband dies. Next thing you know, two sons die. And, he's left, and Naomi's left with two daughters-in-law. But these are people who have experienced things, who had a lot of hopes, who had plans, who had things that they hoped would happen. When we go to Moab, everything will be okay. We'll have enough bread, enough food to survive, and then we can return to God's land, God's promised land. They were genuine people going through genuine hopes, genuine dreams for the future. And catastrophe strikes terrible things happen. The two sons die and the husband dies, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And we all know Orpah turns back, so it's Ruth and Naomi. And I'm not going to read the verse, but I'll read the verse, but don't want you to turn to it. Ruth 1, 16. And is that their excellent verse? It says, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and I. 
What an intense moment. What an intense statement. People who, these two ladies who have come together now, both of them are, are widows and they're coming to, and Ruth is saying to Naomi, listen, I've recognized something in you. And I know that despite all this here, that you've got a, a God who's good and a God who's big. And I'm going to go with you because what you've got is more real than what I had. And as they come back to Bethlehem, come back to that area, and they come back and they start, who knows the situation? Where do they go? Do they live with relatives? Do they move into a, an abandoned house? Do, we don't know. They live somewhere together. And Ruth, who's obviously younger and a bit fitter, goes out to glean of the fields, glean corn of the, 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 after the harvesters. I can remember when I worked in the Bank of Ireland for a while that they had a picture on this wall and I used to go into the canteen and it was called the gleaners. And it wasn't biblical. It was just literally just men in, in, in old times gleaning of corn. And I remember just sitting and staring at it, not for hours, because I did do some work. But I would stare and I would just think of gleaning the corn, you know, and I would think about Ruth and Naomi. And I would think mainly also about us gleaning from the scriptures and gleaning things to, for, to help us move on with our lives. But Ruth and Naomi, for all intents and purposes, are destitute. They're poor. I mean, poor beyond words. They're just, they're not cash happy at all. They're not cash wealthy. They don't even have their own land. Someone else owns it. I mean, they're the bottom run of society. They're widows with no men to stand up for them, no one to defend them, no one to supply for them. They've got no income, they've got no cattle, they're anything to degenerate food or to generate an income. They're literally at the bottom run. And they go out. Ruth goes out and starts to glean corn. Obviously, Naomi had told her, you're allowed to do this, just go out there. And they followed behind. We all know the story and how that they, she went behind the, the gleaners and she would gather what corn she could and how Boaz heard of her and seen her gathering corn and how he would, you know, told the men to leave wee bits behind and not to interfere with her, let her to, even if she passes from a, a you know, she's meant to follow behind the men who are harvesting and even if she wanders path into the part that hasn't been harvested, just let her do it. You know, it's just a wonderful image. As we all know, it's a wonderful image of, of God and of Christ. And we come to Ruth chapter three and verse six. Ruth chapter three and verse six. And it says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went, to, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Now all the married men in here can testify to the typicalness of the fairer sex to taking the blankets <laughs> at night, rolling over and finding the blankets are off you. But he's a single man <laughs> and she has uncovered his feet. 
when you read certain commentators, they tell you that maybe she's pulled a wee bit of the blanket over herself, um, or maybe that she's just pulled it off his feet, you know, and, and in the middle of the night, woken up with cold feet, which I have done a few times. <laughs> Not that Sharon's to blame, no. <laughs> but that line there, which he said, so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. The NIV says, I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The RSV says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your skirt over me, over your maidservant, for you are the next of kin. That idea that she was asking him to cover me, to, to bring something of what he was over her. To, you know, we all know now because we know the passage and we know the symbolism behind it. Uh, and I'm sure Naomi knew the significance of what she was telling Ruth to do. Typical Jewish mother, uh, not unlike Northern Irish mothers. <laughs> go on there, just get in. Just go ahead and ask him. Go ahead and do this. Go ahead and do this. And Ruth... For all intents purposes, a, a Moabitess, it continually says in that book, unaware of these things, obeyed her, her mother-in-law as a good daughter-in-law. She obeyed her, and she didn't understand the significance of what she was doing. Maybe she had a glimpse of it, but she didn't really. She's propositioning Boaz in a way. She's telling Boaz that I need help. In this moment of humility and honesty, she's asking him to fulfill the role of the kinsman redeemer. She's admitting her need of protection, her need to have her feelings and her situation covered by his ability, covered by his resources, her need covered by his supply, her vulnerability covered by his strength. Her situation as a widow with no man or no male in the family to help raise some income here. You're the kinsman. Would you help me? It comes to you. Will you help me? And Boaz had, was willing to get involved. And then it says in verse 10, then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that, that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all that the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. He's moved. He had heard of the things that she was doing. He'd heard of, it says that when Ruth and Naomi came into town, Naomi returned, there was a buzz in the town. People said, oh, they're back. But then where's... Where's Malon? Where's Kilion? Where's um, Elimelech? Where are they? Well, she's brought a Moabitess with her. He'd heard the stories. He'd heard about how she had the opportunity maybe to turn back. He had heard about her faithfulness. He had already started to supply her need. He had already started to reach out and help her as best he could. He'd already warned his men to not interfere and make sure that she's not interfered with. He had already reached out to her and helped her. It's an intensely humbling experience for both parties. 
She's asking him to cover and protect her. Bring me under the edge of your garment. Bring me under the dominion of your family. Bring me under the dominion of your household, the rule of your house. Cover me and protect me. Protect her from poverty and loneliness and homelessness, destitution, isolation, misuse, abuse, all the other things that could have happened to her. She came to him in need. And he more than willingly reached out and helped. More than willingly, he jumped to it right in the morning. I'm going to go and I'm going to get this sorted. There's someone closer, but I'm going to get it sorted. He sprang into action. There's something in us that empathizes with those in need. We're naturally drawn to those who are suffering. You know, we were talk- I was talking this morning to Michael about people who were uh, abusing animals. In that court case this week, the man sentenced for three years. And we're, 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 we're hurt by things like that. We're going like, that's terrible. Why would someone hurt something vulnerable? And then we hear stories about people abusing children and, and, and even, you know, foreigners in foreign countries and things that happen. And part of us goes, that's just terrible. It's horrific what goes on in this world today. It really is. It's horrific. You know, God has created us with that empathy that we can, we can uh, uh, somehow connect with that. The world knows it very well. That's why the adverts for charities are coming at us thick and fast. And they know the image to show and they know how to move us. And we're, 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 we are touched by those things because it's horrific. Things that are happening that should not happen in this day and age. But the problem is man's problem. There's something significant and even spiritual about being covered. About this idea where where Ruth is reaching out, cover me, help me. Cover my weakness, my frailty, my need, my, my vulnerability. Protect me from all that's happening and all that could happen. Sometimes that's what we need protection from, all that could happen. but we need the right kind of covering. The scriptures paint a very clear picture of people who try to cover themselves as opposed to those people who let God cover them. Those who try to manufacture their own type of things, their own way of living, their own organization, their own lifestyle, their own, their own finances, their own whatever, to try and cover themselves, protect themselves for any the word that keeps coming back to me is vulnerability. And there's those people who know that they have a God who is greater, who is greater than anything that we can face in this life, anything that we can face real or imagined, and that he is willing, so very willing to cover us, to protect us. Genesis chapter 3 talks about the fall of man talks about Adam and Eve in the garden and how they ate of the fruit we all know the story again very well and how they went and they, they disobeyed God and how they were moved by deceit and Adam wasn't deceived but they were moved by whatever motive and how they fell and how, they became, how their eyes were opened and they realized where they were Genesis 3 verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They covered themselves. 
their sin made them acutely aware of their situation, made them acutely aware that now things have changed, something's changed. Maybe they couldn't put their finger on it, but something's changed and I'm vulnerable. They weren't worried about the water, the rain. They weren't worried about the cold. They were worried about the fact that they were now naked before each other. Everything was revealed. All the warts and all was revealed and they were like, this is terrible. We need to sew fig leaves together. We need to cover ourselves. They knew that God was wholly different from them. So totally different. And they were ashamed and they covered themselves. I gotta say, what a waste of time sewing fig leaves together. What an absolute waste of time. Could you imagine? How, how, I, know, I don't know what fig leaves are like, but if it's anything like any normal leaf, how quickly do they go brown and shrivel up and drop off a tree? How quickly do they go brown and shrivel up? Never mind anything else. They'd have to be sewing them together all the time because it's wholly inadequate a covering. It's wholly inadequate to do what they wanted it to do. Maybe for a short period of time it might work, but eventually, after a short period of time, they'd need to do it again. The dead leaves were emblematic of man's attempt to cover himself, to take things of this world to cover themselves, to, to see if that would appease and that would cover and that would hide. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, now if anyone builds on this foundation, speaking of God or Jesus and the word, this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. It doesn't say fig leaves, but it could very easily say fig leaves. Isaiah 47, 3, your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. It's talking to people who are arrogant, who are proud, who are trying to cover themselves with the things of this world, trying to cover themselves in a lot of motion and a lot of things that they can acquire and they can do. But God's not gonna shame you if you come to him with a humble and contrite spirit. You come to him in that moment of need and I need help. Listen, I'm in a situation. You know, there's nothing wrong. There's, I gotta leave that a second. There's nothing wrong if you're in a situation that you don't know how to deal with. If you're in a situation in which you might be embarrassed or might be shamed, or in a situation in your work or in your family that you find yourself in that you can't solve yourself, which could be disastrous, there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying, God help me. There's nothing wrong. Nothing. I don't know how you got into it. I don't know what happened. But you know what, God? I need your help. And you know what? He won't put you to shame. He won't. He's a good God. He's good. So God killed an animal. He slew an animal and he made skins for them to cover them. This is important, as I said. This is an important point. God's natural instinct is to cover not to cover up in the sense where he does not deal with a thing, but to cover up as in to protect while grace and mercy has its full expression. As pastor mentioned there last week about repentance, he's waiting. He's holding back judgment 
on Adam and Eve. He's holding back judgment. He's making an offering. He's, 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 obviously, an animal was killed and the blood was shed. And he's holding back judgment to give him an opportunity to get a message across. And that's the case in our lives sometimes. He holds back judgment. And that's the, what it covers to hold it back. What a wonderful God. What an absolute wonderful God. You know, and the world doesn't know anything about him. They want to come up with pop phrases and pop theories and they, they bring out some scripture from obscured from the Old Testament or they look at some obscure passage and they go, that's what the Christians believe. I can tell you what the Christians believe. We believe in a God of compassion, a God who knows where we are, a God who loves us all the same. A God who doesn't want to see us ashamed, doesn't want to see us ridiculed. A God who wants to see those who trust him, trusting him. And whenever we do trust him, we will not be put to shame because his reputation's on the line. God is a God of justice, which he exercises, but he is love. He does not uh, go out of his way to see anyone fail. He did not send his son merely to judge the world, which he will do, but he sent his son to save the world. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that absolutely fabulous? Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You know, that's not to say that he forgives all sins just because he he died on the cross. He's made a way to forgive all sins by dying on the cross. Now now the the ball's in our park. In the Old Testament times, whenever someone committed a crime, the judgment was left to the judge who would then review the case and decide what what the judgment would be and what the punishment would be. There's a big move in certain places to have the families in, in our societies, judge what happens to the people. Maybe not so much in the UK. I know they've t- talked about it in other parts of the world where they want the families to be the ones who decide what happened to the guilty party. But that's not God's way. God wanted a judge to do it because God recognized that the person who had committed the sin was a member of the people of God. God wanted that person to be judged according to the laws and then welcomed back into society. Whereas our natural tendency would have been, he did it, get him. Let's not just punish him for his sin, let's make, get vengeance on him. That's our natural tendency. Even when it comes to shame, when it comes to someone who has stumbled and fallen, it's our tendency, it shouldn't be, but it is sometimes, to talk about them, to say about what they've done. Did you hear the latest? To spread that. And we shouldn't do that as God's people. God is in the business of covering his creation. He's in the business of making up for our inadequacy and feelings. His love, when we trust in him, um, is a magnificent thing. We turn to him in our need and vulnerability. Yes, he does expect us as his people to grow, to be mature, to stand upon our feet, to use sanctified common sense and wisdom. But he loves it whenever we turn to him. Sharon and I, I was reading a scripture the other day and it wasn't about this particular subject. 
And I was, uh, I, I mentioned to Sharon, oh, did you notice? And I was telling her the scripture. And it was this one king turns to another king. King of Israel comes, turns to the king of Judah and says to him, you know, who are you you think you are going to do? You're going to come up here and invade me. It's Amaziah. Uh, you're going to come up here and invade me. You're, t- you're, you're out of your depth. You're going to get defeated. Both of these men were godless kings. Amaziah had just turned away from God to worshiping other gods, literally a few verses before. And here's, um, here's the king of, of Israel in the north telling the king of Judah in the south, both of them had turned their back on God, and he's telling them the word of God to him. If you come up here, you'll be defeated and destroyed. And it says that his, he was pricked because it was the word of God to him. And I, Sharon said to me, well, that's amazing. Well, what do you think would happen? I said, you know, the truth is, over and over in scripture, things happen. God warns people, this is what could happen. This is what could happen. And we see time and time again where people don't respond. But we've got a, we've got a, 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 a principle. Remember Hezekiah, the prophet came into Hezekiah and said, judgment's coming, you're gonna die. Hezekiah turned his face and repented of his sin, repented of what was happening. And then the prophet walked back in and says, actually, I've given you 15 more years. Many times these people were warned by God, not, not because God didn't want to see them repent, because he did. He didn't waste his voice. He wanted to see them turn. He wanted to see them come to trust in him again, but they wouldn't. They were arrogant. In this book of Ruth, it's Ruth Boaz says to Ruth, earlier on, whenever he noticed all the good things he'd done for Naomi, he said, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge, come for protection. You know, we're too exposed to things in our lives. We experience things that God never intended us to experience. God never intended us to experience many of the things we go through. Disappointment and discouragement, defeat, death, a host of emotions and experiences in our lives that mark us. It should be easy. The plan was that it would be easy, but sin and rebellion came in and we went through things and we've gone through things in our own lives we were never meant to go through. We've got baggage because of those things, scars because of those things. We were never meant to carry them. We are never meant to go through them. God never intended for us to experience them. In Ezekiel 16, verse eight, it says, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. I'm gonna brough it out. I can do it. I can get through this life. I can work harder. I can do it. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? We weren't meant to do the things we do. We weren't meant to bluff it out and try and, you know, they talk about Christianity like a crutch and they make that a thing of shame. You know what? Christianity is not a crutch, it's a shelter. It's a shelter from the storms. 
He's a compassionate God whose instinct is to help us, is to cover us in our need, is to cover us in our vulnerability, is to cover us. It said in that verse I just read there, um, yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you. Hasn't he entered into a covenant with us? see people every day who spend their lives just working at it, just doing their best. And it's, it's honorable to do your best. It is honorable. It's good and honorable. Trying to bluff it through this life, trying to make up for things that they've done in the past, trying to, you know, just, just distract, hide my shame under another layer of goodness, another layer of generosity, another layer of things in my house. This time of year, often we, we, we hear stories and we know people and they buy bigger presents for their families because they make up for all the time that they spend, the lack of time they spend with their family. I'll buy a bigger present for them, make up for them. I've got a lot of making up to do this year. A lot of husbands go out and buy bigger, bigger jewelry and bigger diamonds to make up for all the mistakes they made this year. Thankfully, I don't have to buy too many presents this year. Isn't that right, Sharon? <laughs> But they're out there trying to just bump it up and blow it up and make themselves look bigger and better. Some people struggle to come to church. Some people struggle to come to God, come to the word because of shame and because of embarrassment. It'll be revealed if I come to church. It'll be revealed if I go up into the prayer line. It'll be revealed if I have a word with pastor. I am 110% certain that pastor has never revealed anything. I am 110% certain people have poured out their hearts to pastor and he has never revealed a thing. And you know what? That's the spirit of God. That's the gift of God to us. He protects us. He covers us in the midst of our hurts. I'm sure one or two of us have turned to another member of the congregation here and have poured out their hearts, poured out those hurts and disappointments and those things have been locked up and kept. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Now, when we come to God, we come to the gold standard of coverings. See, when we try things in our own efforts and our own, with our own money and with our own ingenuity, it's like fig leaves. But when we come to God and we ask him to cover us and we ask him to help us and to get involved, we come to the absolute best. As I said, the gold standard. The scriptures tell about the, the Ark of the Covenant and about everything that was in it. And I'll not go into this in depth. I want to wind up here. We talk about the Ark of the Covenant and what was in the Ark of the Covenant. We had the pot of manna. We had the rod of Aaron that budded. And we had the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. And the Ark itself represents Jesus because it's, it, it, that's what it does. It represents Jesus. It represents him. You know, it represents God's provision, God's guidance, God's speaking to his people, God's leading his people. But then in some ways, it also represents our rebellion to God. Because when you think about it, the pot of manna, how often did the children of Israel complain? Oh, if only I had leeks and onions and garlic. The rod that budded, 
because people didn't want to follow Aaron. They wanted, to, they wanted their own priests. They wanted their own leadership. And God said, right, whichever staff buds, then he'll be the leader. And that was Aaron's rod and the Ten Commandments. No sooner was it issued, no sooner was it issued whenever um, uh, they turned to a golden calf. And then how many times do we read in scriptures about them turning again and having a revival, turning again to God, turning again to the Holy Scriptures. We see it over and over and over again. And on top of it, there was a golden seat, the mercy seat. We've seen the images and whatever movies, and it was 100% gold. The box itself was acacia wood, which is a very common wood. Speaking of Christ's humanity, it was very common. He was like every man, covered in gold, talking about God's divinity. So Christ was the God-man. And on top of it was the golden seat, all of God, which covered up all these things, which were a promise, and which was talking about Jesus, but which also hinted at our feelings, covered up under the mercy seat covered up under the mercy seat and they sprinkled blood on it and the day of atonement and God would be pleased with that. So God covers it. God doesn't want our, our sins to be revealed and ashamed of those things. He wants to protect us, look out for us. He's moved with compassion. Remember the story in the New Testament where they brought the lady to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery? They wanted to test Jesus and they wanted to shame the woman. Let's get Jesus. We'll get him in an awkward situation. He seems to be that there man all about love and fellowship and friendship. Let's, let's really get him in one where he can't get out of. He's caught in adultery. If that was us, we would have been in there as well. Let's be honest. You're caught in adultery. Adultery, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Oh, it's horrific. Horrific. Betrayal of such intimate trust. The betrayal of that covenant, that's horrific. We'd have been in there getting, yes, he's a dirty dog, where's he? Get him up here. We should be stoning him as well as her. We'd have been cheering on, get him. What about the wife, her wife? Oh, dear love the wife. We'd have been in there. We'd have been cheering on, get her. Jesus, you know what it says, you know what it says, come on. You know what the scriptures teach? She's an adulteress caught in the act. What does Jesus say? What was his instinct? What was his instinct? Who here is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. Who here hasn't broken one of the commandments? Who here hasn't had, you know, lust in their heart? Who here hasn't had anger and fury and hatred in their heart? Who here hasn't? And they turned to the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? What a moment. You know, that tells me all I need to know about Jesus there. That tells me all I need. He's a wonderful savior. He's a wonderful God. That's the type of God we need to talk about. Yes, not to the exclusion of the serious stuff, not to the exclusion of those, but, but whenever people throw up all these things about the Old Testament, book of Leviticus and all the rest, Yes, the reason he did those things is because he didn't want you to get hurt. He didn't want you to get, go through things he didn't want you to go through. That's a wonderful God. It's a wonderful Savior. As Boaz said to Ruth, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you 
by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Have you come to refuge under those wings tonight? Do you know his protection, his care? What situations do you face this week? Ones that you can't solve, ones that you have no answer for, some vulnerability, some weakness, some problem that's been looming on the horizon for a while. There's nothing wrong with calling out to God and saying, God, I need you. I need your help. I need your help. Oh, Jason, I've called out 101 times. I don't care. Call out 102. Call out 102. Keep holding on. Keep trusting him. Keep believing him. He is a good God. We sing the song, Good, Good Father. He is a God who loves to cover, loves to protect his people. Remember the verse, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets. Oh, that I would have gathered you as a hen gathers his, her chicks. Oh, come on. We have a need. Don't be so self, self-righteous self and self-proud and self-reliant. Reach out to him. Call out to him. Don't be so proud and arrogant. Let's reach out to him. I can't do this. I can't solve this problem. I can't meet this need. I need him. I need you, Lord. There isn't a day goes by that I don't say, God, I need you today. Situation ongoing in my work. You know what? God, I need you today. Oh, Lord, I don't have an answer for this. I need you today. Or the situation in our family, we just don't know how to solve it. Lord, I need you today. Oh, God, won't you come and help us today? Cover me today, oh, God, with your great mercy. Oh, he is a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's a mighty God. And he's a compassionate God. Praise you, Lord God, in heaven, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Lord God in heaven, we praise you. Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you love us, Lord. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you know the worst about us. And dear God, we thank you that you don't reveal it sometimes, Lord. We were thankful, Lord God in heaven, that you have redeemed us, that you have cast our sins, Lord, into the sea of your forgetfulness, Lord, that you have named us as your children and forgiven, Lord. God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're available to us. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that you haven't stopped moving in our lives, that you haven't stopped protecting us, that you haven't stopped operating in our lives, Lord God. Lord, we turn to you and we ask you, Lord, to help us again. Help us in our moment of need, Lord. Lord, in those needs, Lord, that we don't even share with each other, Lord. Those things that we struggle with at night, Lord. Those fears and and doubts and unbeliefs, Lord, that strike our heart and our mind, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with us, Lord, that you'll strengthen us, that you'll prevent those things from getting a foothold in our mind and our heart, Lord, that you'll garrison us, Lord, with your word. God, we praise you and we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're a loving, compassionate Savior, Lord, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, who's touched, Lord, with our emotions, Lord. You know where we are. You know what we're going through. 
Lord, we turn to you and we say, Lord, we need you. And we praise you tonight, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.